Welcome to Debt to Cinema. I'm Brian Gillis. And I'm Stephen Maltmanex. Like most people, we love going to the theater and catching latest releases. However, you can sadly put a big dent in your wallet. Fortunately, living in the digital age makes the viewing possibilities endless from the comforts of home. Many of these films that you can see right from your couch, we're ashamed to say we miss, despite labeling ourselves cinephiles. So join us as one or both of us cross off a title from our list of shame. It can be an all-time essential classic. Or an underrated piece of cinema that's worth giving a shot. Hell, it might just be some trashy film we want the other's opinion on. So sit tight and join us as we pay off our debts, one dollar at a time. I don't want you to be the guy in the PG-13 movie everyone's really hoping makes it happen. I want you to be like the guy in the rated R movie. You're a bad man. You're a bad man. You're a bad man. In the city of Los Angeles, where everyone is a player. What do you guys do? I'm a producer. Mike can't even get a seat on the bench. Where do I know you from? You ever been to the ha-ha hole on on Pico? Oh, you're, you're a comedian. Uh, you know, it's a dream. You know, it's a lot of hard work and travel. I know where it is. Starbucks. He came in and, and asked me for an application. But now his closest friends are getting him back into the swing of things. Vegas, baby! Vegas! This happens to be a $100 minimum bet table. Perhaps you'd be more comfortable at one of our lower stakes tables. How are you ladies doing this evening? What do you drive? Uh, Cavalier. <laughs> it's a nice touch. So how long do I wait to call? Two days is like industry standard. Well, how long are you guys going to wait to call your babies? Six, Six days. days. Miramax presents the film that had an entire country on its feet. You know what, big boy? You're grown up. Swingers. You're nobody. This week is special. We're coming up on that 100th episode. I didn't realize that two weeks ago when you said you knew what your episode was two weeks from now and you wouldn't share it. But not just because of that landmark or that this is a good film, but because we're joined by two special people. My girlfriend Ashley is on air after talking about her for a very long time, and also I'm joined by my cat on my lap, whose name was was essentially Jackson, then Malcolm, but I think after this one, it's just going to be money. Yeah. I'm just happy to hear that you're considering your cat a person. All, all good cats are people, to be honest. <laughs> okay, so last week we watched one of the original independent films ever made, and this week instead we get one of the quintessential 90s independent films, John Favreau's first script. Doug Lyman's first real movie, one of the first films with Vince Vaughn. You got Heather Graham in here shortly after coming off of Twin Peaks and a couple other things. This is before Boogie Nights. And you throw in other people like Ron Livingston and cameos by like Adam Scott that you might not even caught or like Mike White and so many different people at this that. time. No, right? Like it, I didn't catch him either. It's like in the fun fact trivia thing. And so... You love Shadows because it showed what could be possible when you make movies this way. Uh-huh. I love this because it's a good movie, and it shows why independent filmmaking existed in the first place. Well, it's a fun movie like, at that, the same time. Like, is this independent? Like, it feels like... A very. It, it kind of feels like a Chasing yeah. Amy situation where Miramax was like, here's some money, just bring us something uh-uh. back. No, this is the opposite. They definitely sold this to Miramax. I don't know when. To the point where, like, with that Doug Lyman shot this. Reference, I was like, I don't know. That, I think that's like a after the they bought it, they could shoot that maybe hmm. or get away with it without any kind of licensing materials. Like the Goodfellas one is less on the nose. Like it's just there, and you could be like, yeah, okay, that actually 
it's similar enough in principle, but it's not like a direct mimicry of what that did. I mean, the casino one is pretty direct, though, too. Like well, in those films, and you have that guy from going to Vegas. Well, it's just the way Vegas is shot in this movie. Like for the budget, this thing was like made for like two million dollars or something, super small, considering the music here, and it's shot almost entirely on location. And you know, they might not been people people yet, but it still has a pretty sizable cast of people that were were coming. I mean. John Favreau was in Rudy just three years before this. So was Vince, Vince Vaughn. Was with them in that, yeah, yeah. Like, but no, this is independent because they wanted real people here. They wanted like Johnny Depp. They definitely didn't want to cast John Favreau. They wanted them to to abandon all the catchphrases. They they didn't like the swingers angle. Like this is like swing music. They didn't they don't like any of that when they were pitching this around town. And it's funny because John Favreau, you know, he stars in this, but he wrote it, he co-produced it. it. It's basically his life story, even if he had some level of fame at this point when it's being filmed. Well, even if you look at just some typical going against the grain independent filmmaking, just the title sequence alone, you know, they're not mm-hmm. uh, conventional. I mean, written and co-produced share a title card, directed and shot by, you know, that shares a title Very, card. Like uh, Robert Rodriguez-esque almost. It's it just Miramax. Well, has Robert like Rodriguez the, done time. that where he's put everything on there where it's like, I wrote it, I did the music for it, I shot it, well, I produced not, it, yeah, and I directed it, and I edited it. Like, it's it. usually... It's usually three. It's usually shot, cut, and scored by yeah. Robert Rodriguez. But but even still, like these are all this condensed. Is, at least this is pinnacle '90s filmmaking. Where like even down to the fucking EA Sports NHL hockey on Sega Genesis, <laughs> which is you know also in Mallrats, like also I think in Chasing Amy, among other films. Where it's like I, I don't think I've ever played that franchise, but I know since I own a Sega Genesis that I should probably hunt it down at some point. <laughs> Um, find out if the head's bleeding. Yeah. It, not only is this essential 90s, though, or essential indie, it's also essential L.A. That, you know, you, having a new Beverly p- calendar on Mike's right Bridge in, the park, in, they, yeah. in those first shots. Or uh, like the 101 South or any of yeah, those signs. Any of the street yeah. signs. But going to the, the Dresden or the Derby or just being in Hollywood, going to the Hollywood Hills. Like, I almost had um, moments here, I know, Ashley hasn't seen it, but of La La Land, where it's like the film isn't essentially about what it means to be a Los Angelino, but more so the dream of coming here. Where like the you know Hollywood, where the streets are paved with gold, where anything is possible, and you have people from New York and Wisconsin and in the Midwest, and they, they should be happy that they're working at Disneyland or possibly working at Disneyland, but they don't want to be goofy. Even then, when they don't get the job, they're upset about it. Yeah. It's like they think it's beneath them and they don't want to do it, but then they lose that job and they feel even worse about it. See, what's funny about that, too, that whole character of Ron Livingston, I know you haven't seen Office Space, so you're kind of lost on who he is because it's like his only thing besides this film. But... Ron Livingston and Vince Vaughn are the characters that they were in real life. They were close friends of John Favreau's, mm-hmm. and he wrote them into the script. And he wrote the script like within two weeks or something crazy. You know, like this is his apartment. These are his friends. This is his car. Like Vince Vaughn's convertible. That's his actual Comet that he was driving at the time. I, I read something crazy about Doug Lyman taking like an Anton 35 camera and wrapping it in a scarf and then wrapping that in a blanket and then carrying that around so it wasn't too loud on set. Uh, honestly, this movie does not look as small as it sounds when you read more about it. Like, uh, it's, you know, looking at the budget, it's like, yeah, I see that's kind of mm-hmm. low, but 
it still it looks and feels like much more professional than most of the stuff that was uh, that's just made today, independent wise. Like as far as sound and like just the rights that they get for mm-hmm. the songs and just how clean a lot of the audio is, especially like that one scene in. Uh, yeah, I found about, out about this afterwards when they're out in the middle of the, the road when scene. they're leaving Vegas. Oh yeah, they had no permit for that. Yeah, and apparently, while they were there, was a cop there that pulled them over. They were recording that scene. They were actually Mm -hmm. filming it while someone was faking trying to get the permit for it. Yeah, and they managed to pull it off. It doesn't feel awkward at all. Maybe now I have to look for it whenever you watch that scene. But yeah, it really, really works. That casino shot when they approach Vegas, they didn't have permit for that. Obviously, the the side of the highway that you said. All the parties that they shoot at here, they didn't have permits or tell people. They just walked in with cameras rolling, and like that. When that sequence when they walk in, the five of them, everyone stops what they're doing. They look at them. That was staged, but I, that's essentially I would imagine what it was like walking <laughs> into this. Like they would put signs up at the bars that said, "We are filming. If you walk on, you're going to be an extra. <laughs> yeah. You get paid." Type of thing. And like, if you actually pay attention at the Derby, right before John Favreau approaches Heather Graham, there's a guy on the right side of the frame that looks straight down the barrel of the gun, looks directly into the lens, like, hey, I'm on TV, and then they go about their scene. And, like, in that moment, John Favreau, like, whispers something to someone's ear, and, like, the story is that he had to tell him, hey, we're filming the meat cute for this movie that I wrote. Can you please walk away so we can do this? We can't. We only have like one, two more days to do this type of thing. Um, but yeah, Adam Scott lived downstairs from John Favreau in his real apartment, and so he's invited. I'm sure he was like on set, or he. It, it says like he's not at a party or two, along with like Stephen Gagan and, and Mike White, so, like two other acclaimed late '90s like screenwriters. Which is just funny to think about how these kind of people not only lived around one another but also like lived with each other essentially yeah man i mean it it's weird because there's not that much to say at least for me like you know this is a really cool snapshot of la for the 90s definitely i mean i definitely um granted i wasn't around there long enough but there were definitely things that kind of pulled me back uh just as far as like remembering stuff like places you went like even um the fucking uh, the lock sticks on your steering wheel, which I don't know if you do that. Mm. When I was living in Long Beach, oh, no, I, I had one. that. Brian definitely does that. I have the twin locks. Okay, it's not the the piece of shit red one they have in this movie. It, it hooks on to both sides of the steering wheel. Not taking any risks after I got my car stolen the first time. No, <laughs> but it's just that's a Southern California thing that I remember having. Uh, not so much now, you know. Is it not a thing everywhere? Really? No, no. It's it's, it's only more of an in... L.A. County thing. Mm-hmm. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. The two sequences that they show up are pretty good. The The first one where you have, like, the carpool of guys driving around L.A. together one mm-hmm. by one. And then when they all pull up, they go click, 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 click. Like, remember how we were talking about Baby Driver before it came out? I was like, oh, we're going to have sequences like that. Like, this is kind of, like, the inspiration for that. And if you watch, you, you've seen Go, right? No, I think we talked about that, but I haven't. That's even more chaotic than this film is. Like, that film is super quick. Like, this is budget. slow. Yeah, well, it has, like, yeah, after making this, you would think it would be. Um, like, Claire Danes is in it. Uh, I forget. It has, a, like, a good-sized cast, and it's, it's like, Tarantino-esque. Like, just how, how chaotic and fast and, like, hip it is. It is funny, though. Like, I, honestly, I knew literally nothing about this other than it was Doug Liman's first flick, and it was fairly low-budget, and it was Vince Vaughn and, um, and uh, John Favreau. 
I thought this was a Vegas movie, though, just based on the poster, it's a, it's like based on the cover. Movie. Yeah, I thought that's what it was going to be. It was a road trip to Vegas. I did not expect, you know, right when Vegas, the opening baby, credit Vegas. sequence. Yeah, like right when that started, I was like, wait, this is Hollywood? Like, all right. I, I'm kind of actually relieved that it wasn't a Vegas movie um, for whatever reason. I don't know why. Just like there's not that many Vegas movies that I like, man. Come on, baby. We're getting the Rain Man. Say it with me. Yeah, I don't like Rain Man. Yeah. Rain Man's uh, essential because it makes that joke work. So yeah, it, yeah. it it's one of those. It, it's might not be a good movie, but it's a necessary movie. You know what? I what got what Vegas said baby said. out of this. So, but it's really money. You know, it's the new yeah. name of my cat. It's one of those. Everyone knows it now, especially when it comes to sports. Like if a shot leaves your hands, like oh, that's money. Mm-hmm. That's like that's so money and. Also, it was sports before it was this because, like, John Favreau was inspired by the Michael Jordan Spike Lee commercials. I guess one of them, like, he just calls, like, he just calls MJ money. He's like, look how money he is in those clothes or whatever. Uh, but they they ran with it here. They made it a real thing. Like it, if if there's one success story from this film outside of John Favreau's career, Vince Vaughn's career, and John Favreau's career nowadays is way bigger than Vince Vaughn's. Like, it's all about the money. You're so money, you don't even know how much money you have that you know it would make sense that this would be a debt to cinema pick because it's all about the money here it's all about the dollars <laughs> and it, it's a it's a natural fit maybe it's not episode 100 but it's close enough for me it's 99 cents how about that it, it's it's almost money it's it's changed i guess have you seen this before i've seen this a good couple times all right so what what is so special about it for you other than that i just i think it's a, a solid movie i mean i kind of talked about it last week i've talked about it on this episode too just in terms of you know like the marty film this is uh-huh. pretty much Marty. Like instead of taking place in the mid fifties in New York, this is the mid nineties in LA. And it, it feels like LA unlike most other films, you know, they reference Tarantino here and how he steals everything. His films kind of bleed LA angst in a certain way, more so like the way people talk or like the cultural references, but it doesn't feel like it's actually filmed here necessarily. It could be shot anywhere. It's just the characters feel like they're from this part of the country. Whereas everything about this, like I said, also in the way that, you know, like La La Land exudes that kind of uh, just body to it that, you feel like you're here, even if you've never been here. Like maybe they could have went to the beach, or they could have went to the Hollywood Hills, or the, or I mean, they go to the hills, but I mean, like the Hollywood sign. Or maybe if they had a bigger budget, they could have got a shot at Disneyland or like Universal Studios or something. Like they could have added more to it if this wasn't such a minor budget. If this was like a mid budget, it, it would just uh, go further. Like if if you had like someone come in from out of town who'd never been there, and they like walk along the the stars or something like that, something. Silly, but it doesn't need that because this film is about people for the people that are here. It's about trying to make it here, like leaving home and coming here before you've even let go of the past, whether that be a girlfriend of six years and it's only been six months or or whatever it is. Like just the feeling that maybe you have, but I know I don't and Ashley doesn't that you know, when you're actually from this city or better yet from this county, because no one actually lives in LA proper, that you just, there's like a certain sense of confidence or just um, like style that you're birthed into. Like it's a, it's a culture that you're, you're not, I wouldn't say it's like, it doesn't make you special, 
but it definitely gives you a certain sense of belonging when you know that, you know, like the people that this film is about, these people that come across the country, people that I've met while working, you know, like at Universal Studios where they wanted to become actors, that they left where they're from to be here, to be a dancer or entertainer or whatever. And this is kind of like their their Bible, I would say like, it's not the film that they watch to inspire them, but if you come here and you're living here and you watch this movie and it just stumbles upon TV or maybe like it did for me, I I remember watching this on cable. Maybe it was on IFC. I don't remember a long time ago, like over 10 years ago that it's just, it's one of those movies that you just, you you feel at home with. Like maybe that's going to diners at 3 a.m. or just getting drunk with your friends or randomly driving to Vegas in the middle of the night or whatever it is, you know, like sitting in your apartment, not shaving, not bathing, and just drinking orange juice, trying to get over whatever fuck-ups you've had recently. Well, it's not uh, just but an just... L.A. thing or a California thing. Like, that's a universal thing, too, oh, that's, man. Like, that is, but I'm saying... I, I, I think it's like, partly a guy thing, too. Like, this definitely has... It, it's got that reputation, too, but I think for most people, like, at least as far as circles I've, talked, I've been in that I've talked about this movie with, um, even though I hadn't seen it yet... It's mm-hmm. kind of the ultimate, um, at least from a guy's perspective, it's the ultimate getting over a breakup movie uh, that you just put on for Not comfort. True. That's that's what how it's been pitched to me. Forgetting and I Sarah totally Marshall is a much better version no, because of the that's, getting over your girlfriend thing. But that's a romantic comedy still at the end of the day. You know, it's still so plays with those tropes a little bit. This one... No, not so much. It doesn't have that guy gets girl, guy loses girl, guy gets girl back formula. It's more just about literally taking that step to get over that breakup. And then, yeah, it ends on a note where it finally, you know, things are finally going forward. But, yeah, it's not really a romantic comedy at the end of the day. Um, Also, though, just as far as, like, being in your 20s and just trying to, uh, quote, make it, you know, like, yeah, it definitely plays on that for people our age. There is a lot here, that a lot of truths here that I think uh, click in that sense of like, you know, it's just as far as like advice that you take from your buddies when you're trying to get over something and yet they give you so many mixed things. And like, you know, when they're trying to figure out, hey, how many days should you wait till you call? It's like, oh, you know, wait, wait one day. Okay, so call tomorrow. No, no, no. Call the day after. So two days. Yeah, two. How many how many days you want to wait? I wait six, you know, like. Like, it's just, I I think basically what I'm getting at is just nobody ever knows shit, you know, you just have to wing it. Like, even the final scene when she ends up calling him, that's proof of, like, you know, the the waiting rule is kind of dumb. I guess there's different variations on it where you don't necessarily want to do it right away, but, you know, just sometimes you got to go with your gut, and if it works, it works. Maybe we can get the female perspective on this. How many days should you wait after meeting someone, you know, to to see them? How... how... (sighs) I mean, I don't think those rules apply now. But, like, as a movie, I don't think it only applies to the male breakup perspective. I just think it's a really cute... I don't know. But, um, I guess two days. One day for me. But, no, it's, like, you know, probably 12 hours. Not even, like, 30 minutes. Maybe right after I've just left. But it's impulse control. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's realistic for me is, like, I just call and then I, I try to set, like, plans ahead of time where it's, like, maybe like, three days after I call, we go do something just because that's when that fits. But it's just, you know, I'm just, I think, like, hey, just get the call out of the way. There's no sense in waiting. We can establish something by that way, you know? 
Well, it's also not calls anymore. It's I like, still call. Even though this is the mid-90s, though, it's kind of amazing that no That's one, true. not a yeah. single character has a pager or a cell phone of some sort or even a car phone or they, no one uses a computer. You know, you don't see anyone read a magazine. Like, you see an issue of LA Weekly. You see, like, one book. You see Bukowski's Hollywood, like you, well, which, which like is funny because yeah. Hollywood is Bukowski's, like, basically memoir of what it was like getting Barfly made as a movie. So it, it's kind of like this film, you know? Like, I would definitely imagine John Favreau reading that book, and that's why it showed up in the script and then in the film itself while trying to get this film made. But, like, John Favreau had a real career, unlike most of the other people in this film. Like, Rudy, as we said, was three years before this. PCU was two years before this. But even after this, like, you know, he went on more and more and more and more. And then he started making movies. You know, he directed Made in 2001, which I've tried to watch. It's a reteaming with him and Vince Vaughn. And, like, P. Diddy's in it. That, that movie's a whole different thing, though. Uh, I'll watch it one of these days. But when you look at this, and this is a conversation, a conversation that we've had kind of, like, offhand, like, I don't think you understood where I was coming from. If you look at this in relation to Chef and how this film's dichotomy from Iron Man is so apparent. Why he would go, I made this Swingers movie, then I made Iron Man and Iron Man 2 and Cowboys and Aliens and fucking Zathura, and now I need to get back to my roots. I have to become an independent filmmaker. I have to learn how to cook. I need to hang out with my kids. I need to go on the road. I need to make a movie for me, by me. I don't care if there's an audience. Well, and this is also it... more or less based off a real breakup, right? Or at least loosely. Yeah. Like, the, it, there's a lot of things here that are taken from real life, yeah. It's like, that's what makes independent film, to be honest. It's not having a voice that matters or having angst. If you look at the best independent films out there, it's most always, this is my real life. Like, look at Clerks. These are real Clerks. And Clerks in this share lots of commonalities. Let's look at, oh, this person left. She's in New York. She's now with someone else, and I'm still not over her. Well, just even best though I'm with films else. in general where you take something from your actual experience, and there's a reason why that resonates with people. It's because you're saying something that even if people are not connecting with the same exact circumstances as you, you know, there is something there that definitely strikes a chord with them. But jumping back to the chef thing, how sad is it, almost like painfully ironic, that both this film, a Miramax movie, and then what John Favreau really made his career on, Iron Man, which was an independent film also at the time of release, mm-hmm. even though it was Marvel, were both bought out by Disney. At one point, Disney owned both Swingers and all of the Miramax library, as well as all of the MCU films, and... He made Chef, and then he just went back to the fucking clan. Like, you know, he's making Jungle Book, Jungle Book 2. He's making the live-action Lion King. He's making that Magic Kingdom movie whenever. I'm sure he's got something else on the horizon at the House of Mouse. That, like, when is he going to make, or is he ever going to make a Chef 2? Or not necessarily a, a hey, Chef It's only sequel, one but, film like, later, though, that you're thinking about this. So, hey, he had to have a good time in Jungle Book to be considering Jungle Book 2. It's like, not a consideration. He's making it. He's making that Lion King movie. Like, he's fully <laughs> enthralled in I Need That Disney Money. Like, how weird is that? that you I just have hope. that line of dialogue here, though, where Charles is talking to Ron Livingston's character. And he's like, I can't believe I got goofy. And he goes, well, at least it's Disney. It's like that's what John Favreau's career became. Like almost every single movie he's ever made, besides Cowboy and Aliens, made and Zathura are Disney films now. 
but even still, he's you know, like his heavy hitters, the films that he's really known for, Swingers. He's and still Iron got Man, a like, long career ahead of him at this point. I hope he's so. got a really, really long one. Um, but like other weird little things happen in this film when when they're actually at the casino, and you see like the two older people winning. First, you see the guy who's like, "Oh, it's my night at the hundred dollar table." That's Vince Vaughn's dad, and then the lady who gets the comp breakfast with the cute koala and like the nice scarf that Ashley liked. That's John Favreau's mom. <laughs> like they put their parents in this movie. They put their own house and apartment. They put their own friends. They put their own lives, and like you can feel that the films that they like, they jokingly try to recreate while talking about them. Like this is people uh, that are trying to get jobs and they got a job talking about the jobs that they wanted to get. Like, even, like, just the weird shit, like the redhead with the number who Vince Vaughn ends up not liking, and you get that Jaws scene thrown in there. (laughs) They sent this to Spielberg. Spielberg saw that sequence. He was enamored by Vince Vaughn, and then he gave him a starring role in the Lost World Jurassic Park. You know, maybe not the best movie to be in, and Vince Vaughn had to follow that up with the Psycho remake, so he had a very rough (laughs) late 90s. But... Spielberg almost made Vince Vaughn a movie star. It's I'm still surprised that he only really made it kind of in this and like Elf and not Elf. I mean, um, old school fucking uh, wedding crashers, well, sort of old school, but more wedding crashers. Yeah, like he stayed the funny, tall sidekick almost. Like he never broke free. Like that's where his career went. He was he went. I don't want to be the sidekick. I want to be the star. He tried to do a couple starring roles, and no one went to see them. Because for some reason, even though he has great scream chemistry and charisma, like look at him. Um, He's got true detective, so I guess actually he that. doesn't because yeah. he was in the second season, which killed the series. Yeah. There is no third season, you know. And, and, but he's good in that. He's actually like really good in that. But uh, you asked me like why I like this movie. It just it's one of those films, and I, I think we are unanimous in this uh, idea that you know, just speaks to you, whether you've had these situations or you've been to these locales or you know people like this or, like, whatever reason it is. It's, like, an essential film. Like, it's a classic 90s movie that is totally underrated that people kind of skim over. You know, they're more willing to talk about Casino or Goodfellas or Reservoir Dogs or maybe Pulp Fiction or even the bigger and badder films of the the mid to late 90s. Uh, But this this one's a buy for me. I did buy it. I paid three dollars so if i paid three i'll definitely get it for a dollar i know you paid 25 cents for it you watch it on vhs i watch it on dvd you'd buy it for a full dollar wouldn't you yeah you know i mean it's 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 not something to be like insanely critical of you know it's it's just good comfort it's it's fun uh it's a fun hangout movie just yeah man i can't it's just tough to really peg anything on this other than just saying the cliche things of like oh you know it's very low budget and independent and you know, celebrate it for that reason. It's just, you know, there is a reason why it's still, even if it is dated and there's no cell phones in there, you know, like there are definitely things that, um, like, you know, the answering machine, um, gag, uh, definitely not something you would see today. Uh, you know, uh, the collect call, uh, that's being made that situation just, yeah, you know, you would not interrupt somebody by going to the next room. You would just take your phone outside uh, but hey, you know, the scenario is still funny, even if it is dated, but yeah, it's, you know, it's a fun movie. Maybe I want to be, no, I definitely don't want a VHS copy. <laughs> I'll keep my, my special features. I have this stupid ass extra called, um, Swing Blade, which is a mashup of Sling Blade and Swingers. Mm-hmm. And essentially Billy Bob Thornton's character is in this world. 
it's so bad. You can probably find it on YouTube. It's like two minutes or less. It's one of those, like, we only had enough money to film a, a quote-unquote trailer, and that's the whole movie. It's like one of those shorts. But, yeah, what, what about you, Ashley? Would, would you buy this one, or would you let someone buy it so you could watch it? I mean, well, no, definitely. It's just such a cool movie, and, like, I don't know. I think it's very authentic, and the interplay between Vince Vaughn and, um, I guess, John Favreau's character is just... I, real selling point for me. I was smiling the entire movie. It just didn't think it wasn't cool for one second, so I'd buy you it. Know, I do I mean, think they're... it's ideal now, like especially because it's in the Miramax uh, library, that mm-hmm. it's pretty much a given that it'll be on some streaming service. You know, it's on Amazon Prime right now. It was on Netflix. Not on Prime. Mm-mm. It was on Prime. Now it's it... part of, uh, if you have a subscription. What do you mean? So they removed it, but yeah. Like it's one of the the prime channels things. Like I had access to it on Prime, I could have watched it that way. Did that? Just yeah, no, disappear? I, I had access on it recently. No, like I said, I looked it up uh, in terms of our audience. Now it's one of the prime channels, I believe. But I could be wrong. I could double check it. But yeah, yeah. it used to be on Netflix. But oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're but right. Either way, though, like this is one of those ideal titles where that's how a lot of people are going to watch it for the first time, and it'll be easy for them to. Uh, uh, to ingest and I know that a lot of people have seen it that way and just told other people to watch it you know it's one of those just those holdovers where you know you see the title enough and then one day you'll just uh, end up being in the mood for it and I think uh, you know the streaming game is a good home for it I am curious how many people especially if they know this is Miramax wonder if it's like some kind of sex movie because it does have that kind of title oh I totally did yeah I mean like I definitely have seen the DVD case around my house and just always assumed it was um oh a weird one but yeah you just see how? Vince like, Vaughn on the cover and it's like yeah that dude he wants to bang well that's his whole character yeah he doesn't like he has no personality <laughs> his personality is I'm getting pussy watch me get it like you're a baby. You're a baby. They're a rabbit. You're the bear with the claws with the fucking with the fangs in the claws, and you got so many ways to kill him. How do you want him? How do you how are you gonna get him? And then Sue's in the corner going, "Yeah, it's yeah." It's funny you though fangs. because like there were moments where I was just kind of thinking, "Yeah, this guy's kind of a dick," but at the same time, no, he actually does care because he's going to the corner, making sure that John Favreau is is getting some. You know, he's looking out for his friend. Oh, <laughs> more so yeah, when he opens up the curtain to check. And he's on like, him. "Yeah," and he's just like, "Hey, here's a condom." No, 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 that's not what I need. I saw that scene two or three times today. I laughed every time. I laughed alone. It's a funny scene. Uh, I think it's real funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening. We hope it's been a pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode, you can listen to more by checking out the Dollar Review Show, where we cover theatrical and streaming releases, as well as give our two cents on anything we sought out on our own, whether that be TV, music, etc. You can find all of our content at dollarreviews.net. Follow us on Twitter. Or like us on Facebook at Dollar Reviews. And we're also on Google Play Music, iTunes, Pocket Cast, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, just about anywhere on the internet with hours of content available to you for free. But for those of you that feel that the show is worth your dollar, you can send us a donation at patreon.com slash dollarreviews. Contributions not only earn our undying love, but they also make it possible for us to improve our recording equipment and to give you the highest quality episodes possible. But more importantly, they'd be helping us acquire the content to review. You know, trips to the multiplex are expensive, and the more donations we receive, the more films we can review for your listening pleasure. If you listen somewhere we're currently not available, 
If you'd like to contribute some talking points, send a death to cinema request, or if you just want to laugh at us, you can do so by reaching out to us on social media or send an email to brian at dollarreviews.net. Or you can email me as well, steve at dollarreviews.net. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Brian Gillis. That's B-R-Y-O-N-G-I-L-L-I-S. And now you know how to spell the email, too. And also under the same name on the Love You site, Letterboxd, which acts as my film diary, where I rate films that I'm watching, write the occasional review, and even sometimes compile lists. You can also find me on Twitter at S underscore MTX, and also follow my film diary at Letterboxd under the same name, where I log everything I watch, and sometimes write brief reviews. That's it for this week. Until next time, keep the change.